Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity to gather together and celebrate today the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, we are reminded in the Easter story and the events that lead up to it that you are a giving God, having given to us your only son. But you have also blessed us in so many other ways. You have provided for all of our needs. And so we return now to you from what you have first given to us, asking that you would use these gifts, these tithes and these offerings, that you would use them for your glory in this world in order that your kingdom would be advanced, in order that the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ would be proclaimed to all the nations. And we pray now as we prepare to approach your word, that you would grant us your spirit, that we might understand your word, that it would be applied to our lives, and that we would be changed because of it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We continue to worship together this morning, Easter Sunday morning. We are focusing with special attention on the story of the resurrection, and we'll read that story, the account that is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. This event, the event of the resurrection, it assures us and gives us proof of Jesus' full and sure victory over sin and death. And it also assures us that one day, someday, Jesus is going to make all things new. So let's read together Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. This is God's holy and inerrant word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. C.S. Lewis, he authored the famous children's stories, those fantasy stories uh, called the Chronicles of Narnia. And in these stories, if you've read them or maybe you've even seen the movies, There was a child in these stories named Edmund, and he was convicted of being a traitor to the king. And because of his crime, Lewis tells us, as he's narrating this story that he's created, he tells us that the deep magic at work in the world required required blood and death to satisfy justice for his crimes. But in in this story, 
the king himself, the king himself, Aslan, intervened and he substituted himself to pay the penalty and die so that Edmund, this child who had been a traitor to him, could go free. And and so as the story unfolds, Aslan was placed on a large stone table and the knife of justice in the hands of the wicked witch. It fell on Aslan and he died on that stone table. You see, Edmund's sisters, Lucy and uh, Susan, they had stolen away from the rest of the group. And they had, they had gone and they hid from a distance in the bushes. And they watched all of these events unfold. And they saw him die on that stone table, right? And it was this gruesome death that they, they witnessed. And afterward, while they were hiding their eyes and they were grieving their loss, they heard this loud crack echo throughout the night. And when they looked back at that stone table, they saw that it had been cracked in half and Aslan's body was gone. And they were shocked. They were talking among themselves. They were wondering what had happened. Where had the body gone? But then this living Aslan comes back into the frame, right? They were overjoyed to see him, but they were also so confused. They had just witnessed his death. Now, I tell tell you all of that, retell the story so I can set up this quote where Susan asked Aslan, what does it all mean? And this is what Aslan said to her. It means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery, was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. My simple question for you this morning is, do you know not only the deep magic, but the deeper magic? And if you know the deeper magic that we are talking about in this Easter story, what difference should it be making in your life today Next week for the rest of your life. You know, I don't, I don't know if you read the quote on the front of the bulletin or not, but, but listen, at the cross, justice was satisfied. It's the deep magic. And, and, and when we get to the resurrection, it is the deeper magic. God's signature that death itself would start working backward. Can you see death working backward in your life? And if you can't, how can you get This deeper magic. I want to show you three things in this passage that point us to this deeper magic. I want you to see a shock. I want you to see a rebuke. And I want you to see a message. Okay, first, a shock. I I think that's a good word for what these women felt when they when they went to the tomb and found that it was empty. See, at the end of chapter 23, these women who are mentioned in this story, they had followed Jesus body to its burial place. They saw the place of burial so that they could return to that place after the Sabbath day so that they could properly prepare his body for burial and anoint it. But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. I mean, surely if you could put put yourself in their position, you can somewhat understand their confusion and their shock and their wonder, right? They, they had followed him to this exact place just so that they could go back 
after the Sabbath to anoint his body. That was their plan. They saw him die. They followed his body there. And things all of a sudden, things aren't adding up anymore. They're unable to connect the dots. Something has gone wrong. They're confused and they're trying to put the pieces of the puzzle back together. You know, we're looking when we're looking at the resurrection, we're looking at a story within a story, right? A small section of the whole story that Luke is telling in his gospel. And were you to read through the gospel of Luke in one setting, you would realize how abrupt and how shocking and how odd this story is. Because you see, all throughout Luke, Jesus is the subject of every story. He is always present. He is in every story. And then all of a sudden, he's absent. So so when you get here, as Philip Ryken writes about this, here we find Jesus conspicuous by his absence. I mean, just to read it, read the story from a purely literary point of view. It's shocking that Jesus is not in this story and it's abrupt. And just think about what these women were intending to do in this story. They had come to pay respect to their leader as an act of love, as an act of devotion, right? To prepare his body properly. You know, when someone in our time, when someone famous, when a leader dies, you know, you turn on CNN or you turn on Fox News and you see these familiar sights, right? You see hundreds of people coming to maybe the home of the person who has passed away, this famous person, this leader. And they're setting up flowers and cards outside of their home. They're paying respect, right, to this person who has passed away. They're showing their devotion and their love. But but here's the deal. Jesus is not like any other leader. Cultural, political, or religious. Religious, I mean, think about every other world religion. You can go and visit their graves. You can visit the graves of those leaders. You can visit the graves of those prophets. Because they are in the ground. And sure, they have followers who continue to try to live out of respect and devotion to, to their leaders. They seek to carry the message and ideology of their leaders and follow their example and keep their teaching. Why are these women so shocked? Because the game just got changed. It's a signal that Jesus did not come to establish just another religion, but something entirely different. The gospel and the Easter story put Jesus and Christianity into a completely other category. You know, occasionally I go to Barnes and Noble during the week and I'll sit there at one of those tables and drink some Starbucks coffee and um, and do some studying at Barnes and Noble. And, and they have shelves and shelves of biographies there in Barnes and Noble. And you can read the stories of great men and women of the past, right? You can read about their great sacrifices. You can read about their triumphs in the face of defeat and how they overcame these seemingly insurmountable odds in their lives and how they achieved greatness. And those are those are good books to read. And you can find inspiration from their examples and you can find some wonderful practical insights from their the core values that drove these individuals. But here's here's what I'm getting at. You can read about them, but you can't know them. You can know about them, right? But you can't know them. You can follow their examples, but you can't have a relationship with them. You can't know them and be known by them. Because they are not among the living. They're among the dead. The tomb is empty. And that changes everything. 
And it's shocking. This makes Jesus and Christianity entirely different. How exactly does it make it different? It means that Jesus is far more than an example. He is the Savior who conquered death. It means that Christianity is more than just a philosophy of life. It is life itself. It means that at the very heart of Christianity isn't changed behavior or information, but a relationship between Jesus and his followers. Now, let's move on to the second point, a rebuke. And I'll I'll try to keep fleshing out this deeper magic that we're talking about as we go. Back to our story, and these women, they are trying to connect the dots, right? Put the pieces of the puzzle in place. They're wondering about the empty tomb they had just found. Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, while while they were still in shock, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. The NIV translation says that their clothes gleamed like lightning. These were angels that had come to visit these women at the empty tomb. Look, the women were frightened and they bowed their heads to the ground. And the first thing the angel says in verse five is this. Why do you seek the living among the dead? See, I think the question itself is a gentle or mild rebuke to these women. The other day, one of my my kids, they had they were starting to panic um, as young kids sometimes do. And. This particular child was starting to panic because it misplaced a toy and couldn't find it. And I saw all this happening right before me. Um, You know, I was like the great and powerful Oz or something. You know, I could see it. And I saw the panic and I also saw where the toy was. Right. And so but instead of just giving this child the answer, go get your toy. It's right over there. I said, "Okay, let's slow down. You know, let's stop panicking. Let's think about it. What were you doing the last time you had that toy? Where were you? You know, and eventually they're able to connect the dots as they remember, right? And find their way to the toy. You know, I think that's kind of what these angels are doing here. They're saying, slow down. You know, think this out. Why are you looking for Jesus among the dead? Connect the dots. And of course, the angels, they're helping these women along by doing what? By jarring their memory. Right, look at verse 6. He is not here, but is risen. And then they say, remember, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hand, into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. In fact, if you flipped back in the story to Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 32, this is exactly what Jesus had told them. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. See, I'm taking taking kind of a scenic route to get here. But the women are rebuked because they aren't remembering. You've forgotten. You're in shock. You're perplexed because you aren't remembering. Jesus told you that he had come to fulfill a promise, that he had to be handed over and killed and on the third day rise again. The way out of your confusion is to remember. So what what does Luke tell you in verse eight? And they remembered his words. And as soon as they did, they were off to tell the others. I want to tell you something. Every one of us needs to hear this rebuke and needs to hear it regularly because we are so prone to forget. 
you find yourself growing cold and going through the motions and missing that vital life-giving connection, connecting relationship with Jesus. You find yourself in the vicious cycle, uh, really a spin cycle uh, of fear and guilt, and you find yourself anxious and burdened, and you find yourself in despair with this nearsighted vision that only allows you to see your present circumstances, or you find yourself angry and bitter and lost and confused in the dark and full of doubts. How do you break those cycles in your life? How do you get out of that funk and gain perspective and regain your footing? The way out is through remembering. We all know this. The memory is a powerful thing, right? It's why we get together with our friends and we tell the same stories over and over and over, right? We tell the same stories because we want to remember and hold on to memories. It's why you fill photo albums. It's why my computer is, I'm out of memory. We have too many pictures on on that computer of our kids. And we, we hold on to those pictures because we want to remember. We want to remember those specific things. It's so important to us that we instinctively know that we have to foster it, right? Bad memories, they are powerful in our lives, right? They have a way of haunting us and paralyzing us and crippling us from moving forward. And then we draw on good memories in our lives. And and those memories fill us with hope and encouragement and move us forward in the present. All I'm trying to say is memories are so, so powerful, so powerful that if you've ever been around someone who has lost their memory, either short-term or long-term, due to an illness or some kind of trauma, to lose the memory, it's debilitating. It's disorienting. It's utterly confusing. It throws you completely off balance. The women in this story are perplexed. They're shocked. They're disoriented. They're confused. They have failed to remember Jesus was most certainly not like any other religious leader. He knew that he had come to fulfill a promise, right? He had to die and be raised from the dead. God in the flesh came to fulfill the promise to redeem a broken humanity, not to primarily be a teacher or an example for you to follow, but to be a savior. Listen to the gospel news. I mean, this is what the story of the crucifixion and Easter tell you. You and I were so wicked. We were so curved in on ourselves, so warped and so broken by our sin. That nothing short of God himself coming to die in our place could save us. And that's incredibly humbling. To acknowledge and to remember. But look, it wasn't just that he had to suffer and die, but that he willingly suffered and died for you. And that is astounding affirmation to acknowledge and remember complete humility and overwhelming affirmation. At the same time, that's the gospel news. The God of heaven and earth loves you this much to really and fully deal with your sin at the cross. Again, back to that quote on the front of the bulletin. God has signed for it. And his signature is the resurrection The resurrection is the receipt. It's the receipt of proof of payment, right? That's why you hold on to your receipts, so you don't get arrested at the store, right? It's proof of payment. The payment has been made, and it says that the stone table has cracked and death has started working backward, that all of your sins have been paid for in the full. And only when you remember this, when you force yourself to remember and saturate yourself in this gospel news, only then will you find the freedom to break the cycle. To break the cycle and see, not just in theory, 
but in the concrete and in the present, death working backward in your life. Now, finally, a proclamation or a message. Did remembering really change these women in the present? Luke says in verse 8 and 9 that as soon as they remembered, they went to tell the others. There is something about this telling, right? They didn't remember and start doing. They remembered and started telling. Proclamation of message, the telling of the story lies at the heart of Christianity. They didn't remember and start trying to earn God's smile and approval and salvation. They remembered and they went proclaiming and telling of a full and complete salvation that is finished and accomplished. Jesus said this is what, is, what was to happen and this is what he did. The Easter story reminds us that Christianity isn't do this or else. It isn't, and it's not do this to get this. It's God's signature of the promise he fulfilled for broken humanity. This is the deeper magic that has to be told. The good news isn't advice. It's an announcement. The good news isn't a path. The good news isn't a journey. It is a proclamation. Here it is. Jesus didn't come saying live to get this. He came saying get this and you will live. Receive. Trust. Hear. Believe this message and you will find life. It changed these women immediately. Set them free and set them running and set them telling. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The sting of death has been removed and death is working backward. As we get ready to conclude... I just want to say a few things about this. First, how do you get this deeper magic? Not by doing, but by hearing and believing. In the 1800s, a man named Horatius Bernard wrote this. No amount of praying or working or feeling can satisfy the righteous law or pacify a guilty conscience or quench the flaming sword that guards access into the presence of the infinitely holy one. Your liberty of entrance must come from something which he has accepted. I'll put that in my words. Stop praying and stop doing to earn God's smile. Stop trying to work up sincere feelings that he might be pleased with. Stop it all and trust the one who went through the flaming sword of justice for you. The resurrection is God's signature, his receipt, proof that God has accepted the work of Jesus in your place. This same man also wrote in this momentous thing, surely it is with the water and not with the vessel that the thirsty soul has to do. You know, as soon as. I'm aware that as soon as I say to a group of people like this, stop doing and believe, some of you are going to turn belief into work. And, and you're going to, some of you are going to start thinking, I'm doomed because my faith is imperfect, it's fallen, it's full of questions, it's frail. It's not the vessel, but the water that will quench your thirsty soul. You come and trust in perfection himself, even with your imperfect faith. And the thirst of your soul will be quenched. That is the gospel's promise to you. Second, what difference should the deeper magic be making in your life? The answer is in the story. Are you telling? 
Upon connecting the dots to this good news, are you moving towards others with the liberating, life-giving, joyful news of the gospel and of the Easter story? At the heart of Christianity lies a message, a proclamation, that we can know and be known by Jesus because of what he accomplished in his death and resurrection. And when that dawns on you, the result is that it always sends you telling. Right? Read the Bible and read history itself. These women are not an anomaly. Telling and proclaiming always follows a right hearing and understanding of the gospel message. It moves us out towards others with this good news. And third and last, what happened when these women told the apostles? They were met with unbelief, right? In verse 11, their words seemed like nonsense, like an idle tale, and they did not believe. And, 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 you know, that this whole thing set Peter off wondering, trying to connect the dots himself. Very simply, I want to say to you that if you're here this morning and you're suspicious or you have your doubts about this Easter story, you're in pretty good company. Right. These women, they didn't go to the tomb expecting to find a, an empty tomb and a resurrection. They went to anoint a dead body. The apostles themselves, they thought it was foolishness. They thought it was nonsense. They thought it was an idle tale. They did not believe. But listen, you read on throughout the Gospels and they all processed it and they thought about it. And when they finally connected the dots, they were changed and the world was changed through them. Death started working backward. What I'm saying is if it seems like nonsense to you now, don't just dismiss it. Keep processing, keep thinking, keep listening until you meet him. For he is not among the dead. He has risen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news. We thank you for this day set aside for us in our calendars that we would focus on this day. That our attention would be drawn to the empty tomb. That our attention would be drawn to your signature. That death has been conquered. The sting of death has been removed. Father, we pray that you would, through this Easter story, that you would give us hope. You would give us hope even in the midst of our imperfect faith. That you would give us hope in the midst of our doubts. Give us hope. That death really has been conquered. And it's working backward. Because of what Jesus did in space and time. And accomplished in history. Father, there, we have come together today. Some excited and some anxious and some burdened and some full of questions. No matter how we come, we pray, O oh God. That you would remind us this morning anew. That the gospel tells us that we are far more broken than we could possibly imagine. But because of what Jesus has done in our place, we can be assured that we are far more loved and secure and accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. We pray that this good news would set us free and send us telling and proclaiming this good news. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.